Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What is up? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. Undrafted free agent spectacular. Uh, I guess you can call it that. It's uh, EJ's favorite day of the year. We get to talk about undrafted gems. It is like a kid in a candy store. This is what he lives for is undrafted players. Somebody that most likely none of you have ever heard of or at least ever watched. But trust me, he has. And he tells me every day about some contract for a player that didn't get drafted that I've never even watched. And he's like, oh my God, this is the signing of the year. This is his favorite episode by far. He really wanted to do it. And I'll tell you what, we obliged him. We we, we will feed his urge to talk about undrafted players. So EJ, I'm going to bring you in here first. Tell me how excited you are for this episode. And while you're doing it, tell me what you're drinking. Oh yeah. It's the best. There's nothing better. Free talent, man. Put up a sign on the corner. Put out a stand. Free talent. The NFL <laughs> is built on large part UDFAs. 30% of the league is UDFAs. And, I mean, when I say free, look, they get paid. But in terms of a salary benefit, they are extremely cheap. They are huge producers. And uh, there is very, very little risk. So it's the perfect time to go grab a player that, might have gotten dinged up, uh, might have gotten lost, might have gone to a small school, uh, might have gotten into a little trouble. Who knows? Uh, for any number of reasons, but uh, we're going to talk about ten of these folks that have the potential to be that contributor that you hear about every year. Oh, the guy went undrafted, but now he's playing forty percent of the snaps and he's the third leading offensive contributor on blank team. And everybody says, "Oh, nobody'd believe it. He didn't get drafted, but it happens every year." So we're going to give you our picks of who we think. 10 of the most likely guys to really contribute and tell some of their stories along the way. Uh, what am I drinking? I am drinking a bourbon from Heritage Distilling. It's from their dual barrel collection. Uh, and their dual barrel collection, they start off in regular uh, virgin bourbon barrels. And then they move it to a different barrel to give it some kind of flavor or texture. This happens to be their vanilla one. So they start it in a bourbon barrel and then they move it to a vanilla extract barrel. Uh, that was used to age vanilla extract, so it gets a little hint of vanilla in it. And uh, they've done this with orange as well, which you would love for your old fashions. Um, but this that, is the that uh, does sound good. Yeah, this is the vanilla varietal, and it's quite nice. Uh, Heritage is local to me over in Gig Harbor, Washington. Uh, but good stuff. So, what do you got? Uh, I got a little Irish coffee because I, I got a lot of editing to do tonight. Uh, so. Keeping, uh, keeping the eyes open. Good for you. Yeah. So uh, I, I knew I had to drink something. I knew I had to stay awake, but also get loaded at the same time. So a little Jameson Black Barrel sprinkled oh. in with a little raspberry chocolate blend for coffee. It's, uh, it's good on you, mate. Good. <laughs> good on you, mate. If you can stomach it, that's impressive. But let's get to this. We're going to talk about our 10 jams, but I want to talk about what a UDFA is first. What the heck is a UDFA? So UDFA stands for undrafted free agent. It just means somebody that wasn't picked in the seven rounds of the draft, the roughly 240 plus players that went off the board. So how do teams get these guys? Well, it start, it's a, 
it's a free for all. It's the Wild West. It's a mess. And I'm sure this year it was even more of a mess with all the decision makers being distanced from each other. Um, it's chaos anyways. This year it had to be like super extra duper chaos. But before the draft even ends, uh, teams start calling players and saying, hey, you know, we'd like to pick you. But there's another guy. We'll see if that guy's still available. If he is, we're going to spend our pick on him. But we still want you. So right after the draft ends, we're going to be your first call. You know, you've got an opportunity to start for us, whatever they say. The problem is all the teams are doing that with all the undrafted free agent players at the same time and their agents. So it's very, very confusing. Um, and it happens very, very quickly after the draft ends. You start seeing announcements of signings and, and people sort of committing. It's almost like college all over again in recruiting, right? People committing to go to a team. And sometimes there's movement there and, and the information is not super reliable. So when I say Wild West, it, it just has this undercurrent. Everything in the NFL is sort, sort of so organized and has rules and UDFA really doesn't. It's just a free-for-all at the end of the draft. So what are the cool things about being a UDFA? Well, from the player side, you get to pick your team instead of being uh, picked as a seventh round pick and going wherever you were selected. You can look at the situation. You can look at the depth chart. You can look at the coaches. Uh, you can look at it where it is geographically, if that's important to you. You get to choose and say, I think my best chance to develop as a player or get on the field or even just make the team is with X team. And you get to say, I'll go there if they're if they're recruiting you um, from the NFL side. It's extremely cheap labor for NFL teams. And like I said, if you swing and a miss on a UDFA, nobody cares. It's not very costly, and nobody's going to ding you as a GM for missing on a UDFA like they are on a second or a third round pick. So it's a really interesting sort of mechanism. It's a really interesting sort of labor source. It's chock full of stories about guys that could have, would have, should have got drafted but didn't now have to work their way up from undrafted status. And like I said, every year, great stories from this category of players. Um, and we're going to talk about a bunch of them. Yeah, keep in mind, some of these guys, I mean, the, the money they get signed for is all over the place. I mean, uh, last year there was an example. D'Angelo Ross got $17,500, uh, but Andrew Beck from the Patriots got 115000 You know, two guys, both undrafted, same team. One was making eighty k more than the other. You know, and then sometimes when those guys hit and, and there's a big market for them, we saw the Raiders pay Keelan Doss, who was undrafted uh, last year, I think it was. You know, he got $500,000 with a $300,000 signing bonus. So you, you can make a lot of money very quickly as a UDFA if you are very clearly uh, a quality player that teams have a lot of interest in, especially if you're showing out in camp and, and preseason, all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, I would say situation is key, money is key. You know, agents and players kind of decide for themselves what they prioritize more. But if you hit, you can really, really hit. Yeah, no, it's a it's a fascinating um, sort of way to acquire talent. It's part of the ta talent acquisition chain, really. In the in the NFL, it's a foundation the league is built on. Again, thirty percent of active NFL players came into the league as UDFA's. And the way the teams manage this resource or uh, you can say exploit or uh, <laughs> win at this particular free for all is really, really key to their team building, to their longevity, to their success, uh, to making their GM look good and their scouting staff look good. It's it's just a really important process and almost nobody likes to talk about it because, again, it's it's players that, you know, slip between the cracks or weren't the biggest names or Again, should have got drafted, but what happened to that guy? Oh, he didn't get drafted. Um, so I think it's fascinating. I know a lot of people don't, but we're going to try and bring some interest to it for you um, with some stories and some matches of players that maybe landed in the right places or are going to be a terrific understudy to a current player that's in place, maybe a star or an established veteran. Um, and then we're going to talk about some real, that team building piece of, um, I've got at least one example of a team that used it extremely well uh this udfa process to sort of build their team and, and sort of make assets appear out of thin air and it's that's just a fascinating piece of of gming in that particular case yeah 100 percent agreed on all counts um so why don't we go through we'll, we'll kind of do what we did with the with the 10 gems we'll do a similar thing we each have five undrafted free agents that have already landed with teams because there are still contracts being signed believe it or not 
but there are, there are five for each of us that have already signed with different teams that we've kind of singled out as good values or good fits or, or just good stories, what have you. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth. For me, the best, well, I shouldn't say the best, potentially the most impactful undrafted free agent contract that I have seen signed is Parnell Motley, corner for Tampa Bay. We talked about him in our defensive gems. He was one of my 10 defensive gems as a value corner that could potentially go on day three. And I mean, early on day three, uh, I think I had him as my 10th rated corner in this class. And so you're wondering, okay, Brent, how is your 10th rated corner who was really good in terms of metrics and really good in terms of tape? I mean, he frustrated the hell out of Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims in all of his production against OU's defense, almost none of it came against Parnell Motley. And so when they started shadowing Dims or Mims with Motley, he, I don't want to say he got shut down, but he certainly uh, was not as productive. He's a really, really good corner. So you're wondering, okay, how does he go undrafted? Here's the thing. He was a combine snub. Somehow did not get invited. Still don't know to this day. Uh, I, I, I will never know why he didn't get invited. But everybody still expected him to get drafted because he was going to get pro days. He was going to get private workouts. Like, you know, it's going to be fine. And then the virus happened. All of a sudden, there's no pro day. He can't go get team visits because he wasn't at the combine. He never got medically checked by any team doctors, so nobody had any medical information on him. And the thing is, if teams don't have the medical information on you, it doesn't matter how good you are. You will not be drafted. So he was extremely unfortunate. He lost a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money not getting invited to the combine. And if anything, he's one of the best arguments for expanding the total invites to the combine in case stuff like this happens. Because if you can't get medically checked, you will not be drafted. You will not make as much money as you should. And uh, it's extremely unfortunate for him. But he landed in Tampa Bay where if you look at their depth chart at, at outside corner, and I'll pull it up right now, it is Sean Murphy Bunting. It is Carlton Davis. It is Jamel Dean. It is MJ Stewart. He might not beat out Carlton Davis, but by the middle of the season, I think he could start across from Carlton Davis. And uh, like that is... If there is any uh, boundary corner depth chart in the NFL that a UDFA could start by midseason uh, and play well, it's Tampa. So he chose his situation well. He chose a place that he could compete for a starting role and earn a much larger contract than, in my opinion, he, he's worth because he's a very good corner. Yeah, it's just this is just free money, right? Because if Parnell Motley comes into the league, plays like we both expect, that he will again he's demonstrated that ability at a at a power five conference school against top end talent that got drafted much higher than he did you can go back to the tape and say hey he was he was right there with that guy why'd he go undrafted he talked about that but this guy could come in and lock down the corner roll for three to five years in tampa and it will cost them nothing and yeah. that's staggering right a starting outside corner even number one number two corner i don't care which expensive position in the NFL and they're getting it basically for free. Now he'll get incentives for playing time, which is awesome. That's one of the things about the CBA is if you come in on a low end contract and you outperform that, you actually get performance bonuses when you're making this little money, it can actually almost double your salary. Uh, I remember Eddie Jackson got a huge one the first year because he was drafting the fourth round. And he played almost every snap defensively and, you know, was really close to defensive rookie of the year. And ended up almost doubling his salary with those bonuses. So Motley's going to be a guy that's in line for that kind of money. But it's not even about that. This guy's going to come in and, you know, elevate their defense. I like MJ Stewart, Carlton Davis. I really like coming out of Auburn. But I think you're right. After that, there's there's nobody that's really standing in his way on that roster. He's going to start by mid-year even with no offseason. And for Tampa, that's just – in terms of team building, they basically save – you know, what, eight, nine, 10, 12 million dollars per year that they'd be paying a top flight corner to man the outside, especially in that division, pass heavy division. It's yeah. just a it's a masterstroke. I mean, it, this could be a, a huge turn for their franchise. I'm trying to find like how long the deal he signed with Tampa was. It's probably but, two to three years. Most UFA yeah. deals are are between. They're usually two to three years. Teams want at least two years worth of control, um, but they're not really willing to sign on the dotted line for, for four or five seasons because, again, there's a reason these, these folks went undrafted, and it's a gamble for both sides. And the other cool thing about 
being a UDFA is you, you have your own fortune again after two or three years. If you play really well, you're renegotiating really quickly, more quickly than your first and second round colleagues, right? Because they're under contract control for either five or four years, right? You're out after two or three and earning possibly the big money that you've sort of earned through your play on the field sooner. Yeah, which, I mean, in three years, if, he, if he's like a, you know, like A.J. Bouye, who was making nothing for a long time, had an all-pro season, next thing you know, he's making, what, $15 million uh-huh. or something, you know? So it he could potentially make more money than a lot of guys that got drafted fairly high just because he's going to get on the market earlier. And, and again, if he's if he's on the open market, a quality corner on the open market is making $15 million these days. It, it's just flat out. If, at, by, least. By, yeah, at least. At yeah. least. And by the time he gets on, it could be – 16, 17, whatever it is. So uh, I, I, I don't want to guarantee that he's going to be one of those success stories, but because he kind of got undrafted for fluky circumstances, uh, you know, similar to like a Lyle Collins, you know, when he went, did Lyle Collins even get drafted? I can't remember. It might've been super late, but where no, like, I think Lyle, he, when he got late, his agents threatened that if anybody drafted him late, he wouldn't play for him. Yeah. So they were basically let us let us go UDFA so we can choose our own. That was a very interesting turn, right? They got late in the draft and they're like, well, this isn't worth it. <laughs> we're going to be under contract control. We're going to have a fairly, really low contract in the, you know, uh, three, four hundred thousand dollar a year range. Forget it. Don't pick me because anywhere I go, they're going to end up giving me probably one of the largest bonuses ever. He ends up choosing the Cowboys and, you know, the rest is history. And, and but the thing is, everybody knew at the time, like, OK, this is kind of fluky circumstances. He should not he should not be on the board. Um, and then it, he, he ended up getting a huge contract years later. So I think the same thing's going to happen to Parnell's. You know, it's a fluky circumstance. Everybody knows he shouldn't have you know, been undrafted. And he's I think he's going to get paid eventually. But um, who's your first guy? My first guy is the quarterback that I talked about um, pretty much through the entire draft process. Again, as a value quarterback, as a down the board, if I'm going to you know, pay a fifth or sixth or seventh round pick, I want a guy that's got some potential. And his metrics are really good. His performance stats are really good. His athletic testing was off the charts. And that's Tyler Huntley from Utah. So if this guy's so good, EJ, why didn't he get drafted? Same question. I'm going to tell you it's his throwing motion, right? His throwing motion, the actual way he throws the ball, the way he looks when he throws the ball is not pretty. And the NFL (laughs) loves a pretty throwing motion. They love a big, tall, strong-arm quarterback that stands in the pocket, airs it out with a smooth toss. They love that stuff. They eat it up. Tyler Huntley is not that guy. He is incredibly athletic. I think he jumped 43 inches vertically. Um, he's quite fast. And the thing is, his production is really good. And I don't just mean his numbers production, because I'm not much on just raw stats in terms of judging quarterback play. If you look at where the ball ends up when he throws it in terms of accuracy, tight windows, placement along the sidelines, leading receivers so they can run through the catch, all the things that really matter, Tyler Huntley is a really good player. And that's what I was saying is just ignore the throwing motion and look at the results. Well, people couldn't get past it for one reason or another. Um, And he goes undrafted, which is, again, not great for him. But he lands in what I think is probably the best UDFA landing spot in all the NFL. Tyler Huntley ends up signing with Baltimore to be Lamar's understudy, right? Isn't that just perfect? It is so perfect. It is. And again, it's the best possible landing spot for him in the nfl it's the best coaching best scheme best existing role model for his talent and game to sort of exploit those gifts and say hey we know how to use those in fact we've got a guy here you know that just had an mvp level campaign uh that does very similar stuff to you you're gonna be able to sit back and pick his brain and and learn and if you have a chance in hack to develop in this league you just hit the jackpot. Like you are in the ideal spot. If Tyler Huntley doesn't make it, it is, it is not probably anybody's fault, but Tyler Huntley, it is the best possible situation. So Baltimore gets, again, if he hits, if he comes in and he's even just a serviceable backup quarterback 
that is one of those guys that goes out and tears up the preseason and looks like Lamar Jr. For right? free. <laughs> for free. They're going to flip him for like a second or third round pick. Again, for free. And when I say free, I mean draft capital. They paid no draft capital to get Tyler Huntley. He has a very limited financial contract in length and dollars. It's just, if you hit on a quarterback, it's just like if you hit on a quarterback in the late rounds. It's gold. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think San Francisco could have flipped Nick Mullins for? Probably a lot. There were people, I mean, uh, there were relatively people speaking, <laughs> that wanted Nick Mullins as the starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears. I kid you not. And this was not a few wackos on the fringe. Like people were saying, we should trade for Nick Mullins. Do you see what he did? He could lead the Bears to the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good luck with that. And I mean, it's I'm not saying he couldn't have. I'm just saying this is what happens when you have late round, especially quarterback success. So Tyler Huntley, QB from Utah, lands in a perfect spot in Baltimore, gets to be Lamar's understudy. And again, great coaching staff that understands how to use an athletic quarterback in and just maximize those gifts. And he's got those in in spades. So he's all set. Um, who's your second? So my second, um, it's it's a guy that I talked about multiple times throughout this process and i can kind of understand why he went undrafted but at the same time i absolutely don't uh, <laughs> so we saw him at the senior bowl it's courtney davis wide receiver out of texas a&m who ended up going to minnesota and the thing is courtney gets open really easily great feet great hips very polished route runner the one problem is catching the ball uh, particularly in practice. I think, honestly, the drills at the Senior Bowl really hurt him because he dropped a lot of balls in practice. I don't Maybe half, which is not good. The thing is, he's a gamer. And so in the game, when all the scouts were already gone because GMs and scouts only watch practice and then they leave, they don't really they don't go to the game. You know, when he leads all receivers in receptions in the game and he balls out and he has a great day, they weren't around to watch that, you know, so their, their impression of him, their last impression of him was this is a guy who gets open and then drops everything. So the number one job description of a wide receiver is to receive the ball. That's right. You know, so I, I think he went undrafted because of that, but he's so talented and he's such a hard worker. Uh, I, I think if he can kind of get over the dropsies and, and hit the jugs machine and, and show out in practice like he does in games, he could stick around on that Vikings roster. In fact, I know he can. Um, it's just he's he's got to perform better in practice because that's that's the only place his, his coaches know him from. And if he drops balls in practice, they're not going to put him in the game. You know, so that's that's kind of his big hurdle. But I really like him in terms of his skill set of just getting open. He gets open very easily. It's finishing the play that's the hard part. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you that senior bowl practices were not terribly kind to him for that particular thing, and it is a sort of damning trait for a wide receiver to have a lot of drops. There's a lot of reasons to have drops at the senior bowl. Um, there's a lot of travel involved, uh, depending on how late your team played into the season. You're catching balls from quarterbacks who are of, um, let's just be kind and say, varying talent and also have varying deliveries. You might be catching you, you know, your first rep from one quarterback, your second rep from another quarterback, and your third from a completely different quarterback. And that's that's hard to adjust to as a wide receiver. And some guys do it better than others. Um, Michael Pittman, for instance, uh, had no trouble with any of those transitions. And scouts noticed that too, right? That nothing seems to trip him up. Uh, Courtney, very quick. Um, good frame in terms of size, length, reach, ability to go up and get the ball. Not overly solidly built either and some folks don't like that in wide receivers they like their wide receivers to be a little bit more like running backs in terms of build and folks that like that probably won't like Courtney but I think you're right that if he can clean that up and and people will argue fairly endlessly as whether or not you can improve somebody's hands but if he can come out and you're right he unfortunately <laughs> not being a great practice player is kind of a bummer as an undrafted free agent because that's all you're going to get Yep. And he better play really well in practice. Um, but, you know, there's that relationship between Texas A&M and uh, the Minnesota wide receivers coach and staff. And, and they like those prospects, right? They love them and they believe in them. And that's what you need is a coaching staff that really 
thinks you can make it and is invested in you making it, not bringing you on and kicking the tires. But uh, if you get a coach, um, especially your position coach that really believes in you and is out there driving you every day and you take that coaching, those are the guys that make it, the UDFAs that really make it. They land in that situation where the the organization almost wills them to succeed. And he's got a little bit of that um, in Minnesota, and it's up to him to kind of maximize those and flame the, uh, fan those flames and just really turn it into a roster spot. Even if it's a practice squad spot to start, um, he's got some opportunity, and he certainly has ability. And keep in mind, Gary Kubiak went to A&M. He watches every single A&M game, so he, he knows what Courtney can do. He watched, he watched him every week for years. You know, he watched him catch the game-winning touchdown in seven overtimes against LSU. He knows what he can do. So if there's one coach that might be willing to hold out a little bit longer because he's seen him a lot, it's Gary Kubiak. So I, I, he's got a shot there better than he does in most other places. But um, who's your number two? My number two is a, is a very non-sexy player. Benito Jones, nose tackle from Old Miss. Uh, and I like Jones through the pre-draft process. I thought he was a good value at nose tackle because nose tackle is not a glamour position. It is not a highly paid position. It is not typically a highly drafted position, especially for nose tackles that don't produce a lot of pressure in the pass rush. And Jones can do that. He shows some flashes, but he is a big space eater in the middle. He's fairly athletic. When he gets loose, he can threaten the quarterback, but it doesn't happen all that often. He's really there to clog, to two-gap, to make sure that sort of middle block in the running diagram is occupied by a big red square. And that's him, <laughs> right? And it's not that Benito Jones is an amazing player individually to study as a UDFA. It more sort of indicates in his particular situation what a team's doing, what a team's building, what they want. So he ends up in Miami as an undrafted free agent. And it's really that indication of what are these guys doing? And when you combine it with their draft choices, because you really do, the, the talent acquisition piece is threefold, right? Or, or fourfold if you're going to count trades. But it's free agency, it's the draft, and then it's undrafted free agency. And when you look at the sort of sum total of what a team did in those three or four phases, who they let go, who they courted, who they actually signed, who they drafted, and then who they go get, in UDFA, you get a picture of what an organization's trying to achieve. And when you combine him with the draft choice of Raekwon Davis, the massive defensive tackle from Alabama, Miami's going to have two big-bodied run stuffers to lock down the middle and let their linebackers just run and hit. And uh, being a Bears fan, I'm fully familiar with that model because in Erlacher's glory years, they had Ted Washington and Keith Trailer occupying those two roles, two massive guys that were also very talented football players that stayed in the middle and made sure there was about a uh, six or seven yard wide box that nobody was going to get through. And the very talented Bears linebacking core could just crush everything else that slipped through. Um, that's the way it looks like based on the talent acquisition that Miami is sort of structuring what they're doing. And it's not that Jones individually is a fascinating story. It's where he fits in that larger story of what the Dolphins are doing with a sort of modified New England model and how they're going to make their defense tick and cook, quite frankly. There's going to be a third and three sometime next season with Raekwon Davis, Benito Jones, and Christian Wilkins all on the line. And the offensive line is going to go absolutely freaking nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. And that's that's where he that's where he wins. That's where his value is. In short yarded situations, when you absolutely need the the line of scrimmage to not be reset, you cannot get knocked back. You know, we need to create space for Raekwon McMillan to operate. You know, we need to create space for Landon Robbins to operate. You know, that is where he's going to show up. And I think the rotation, the defensive line rotation they have there, because remember, they, they got Shaq Lawson, uh, they got Devon Gotcha, who, in my opinion, was kind of him and him and Wilkins were kind of the only defensive tackles in that whole roster that I even cared about. They needed defensive tackles. So that's why they grabbed Raekwon. So they grabbed Benito. But you also got Emmanuel Ogba who came in. You got Strobridge. They also like 
this whole in- Strobridge is a great picture yeah. of him. It, he he really fits that model. Like there's not that many places, and we talked about Strobridge. There's not that many places he fits really well, and it's really the New England tree where he fits the best. New England, Miami, the Detroit. Like those are the places. Yeah. Those are the places where he's going to play that role. He could he could have done the same thing in Seattle as well. Uh, but Strobridge ends up landing as part of this, like you said, now very talented defensive front seven in terms of they have waves and waves of guys. They're going to be so fresh. Um, it, you know, not any of them necessarily are super duper stars. Uh, but when you, when you throw them in waves against an offensive line throughout the course of the game, they're going to make some plays. And, you know, Arizona did a very similar thing with the sort of Twin Towers. They they ended up drafting both of theirs. They didn't do a draft in a UDFA, but they got Lecky Foto, the very, very powerful uh, defensive tackle from University of Utah. And then Rashad Lawrence, who's the starting defensive tackle for LSU, who's a captain yeah. for them, cog of that defense, right? And you put Foto and Lawrence Good in front luck. of... Oh, wait, they drafted uh, a guy that we think is a linebacker. Uh, it was up high, right? I believe his name is Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, real high. So Isaiah Simmons, who, strangely enough, I said is, uh, and I was talking about pass coverage, but I said is a faster version of Erlacher being able to play the middle of the deep Tampa 2. Again, you're going to keep, you're going to make Simmons' life as easy as possible as a linebacker, right? He's going to have very little trash coming at him with Foto and Lawrence in front of him. And that's going to maximize his value. So you, you you buy an asset up high with a very expensive draft pick, and then you, throughout the rest of the course of the draft, fill out that strategy and say, all right, these are the, these are the pillars we're going to put in front of that guy. It's no different than building a strong, talented offensive line in front of a great running back, right? It's the exact flip side of that on the defensive side of the ball. And, it, you know, it's a fascinating strategy. So it's not that Benito Jones is amazing in his own right. It's amazing when you see him fit into that sort of kaleidoscope of what they're putting together. You're building a hockey team. You have your first You have your first shift change, which is bringing in the big uh-huh. heavy stop the run, and then you bring in the second shift, with the lighter guys who rush the passer. It's, honestly, it's brilliant. I love it. But um, my, my third guy, uh, I don't know how new orleans is going to get away with this they seemingly always do but this this saints linebacking core now that they've added joe bocce jr from michigan state as an undrafted free agent who should have been drafted uh, there were linebackers that did uh-huh. get drafted that are not as good as him so let me read you off potentially this young linebacking core for the saints not all the way young but demario davis is a stud everybody knows he's a stud but you put Zach Bond at Sam, Davis at Will, Ugh. and then you got Bocce competing with Kiko Alonso for Mike or Craig Robinson for Mike. I think you can beat out both of them. Like, this is potentially a starting Mike linebacker that you have for no money, who I think is he's, – he's better than everybody else they have. Like, Kiko, I think injuries have kind of caught up for him. He's, he's definitely lost, lost a step compared to early in his career, especially that marvelous rookie season – that he had uh, in Buffalo, and then it's all kind of yeah. gone downhill from there. Uh, but I think Bocce's also better than Craig Robertson, who's the a, a backup linebacker for them. I, I think he can honestly win that starting job by the middle of the season, similar to Parnell Motley. It built like a sawed-off shotgun, not the biggest dude in the world, but great instincts, and he is strong for his size. I mean, he is just a little tree stump that kind of moves around the field and he bounces off blockers. He doesn't lose ground. Even his arm tackles, again, he's so strong that just throwing an arm out there, he can trip you up if he doesn't get in position for a full wrap-up. He's a great tackler in general, uh, savvy blitzer, not somebody that's going to be you know, making a lot of highlight plays in coverage, but if he's really only in against base and then you have Bond and Demario Davis in and Nickel, that's fine. Like his, his one role is destroy the run game and he's going to do that very, very well. Yeah. Bocce is a guy that I found sort of late in the process. I just, he was lower down on my list and therefore I got to him later. Um, when I got to him, I thought, man, I'm, this is the second coming of Chris Borland. And before everybody jumps all over me for that, um, it's not cause he's white. It's not cause he plays in the big 10, go look at their mock draftable charts. And if you're not familiar with mockdraftable.com. Uh, they make spider graphs for uh, basically athletic performance data. And I, my eyes told me on tape, 
this guy looks a ton like Chris mm-hmm. Borland, but I swear he's a little bit more athletic. Like he's a little bit quicker, a little bit fleeter of foot than Borland. His arms are a little bit longer, or at least they look like on tape because the thing you mentioned specifically that throw an arm yeah. out, he just balls up his fist. His arms are incredibly stout and he just sticks him out there. And it's like getting hit in the leg with a six inch thick branch, <laughs> right? You just don't make it. It just knocks guys down. And he does it over and over and over again. The first time you see it, you're like, oh, he, he almost missed that guy. He just arm tackled him. And then you see him do it four or five more times in the same game. And you're like, no, that's how he gets those guys. And they all go down. So he's swinging up he base from his shoulder, you know? <laughs> that's right. And he, he cuts all of them down that way. And I really do think this guy's play style, his tenacity, his instincts, um, his sort of ferocity in the middle. He is a never-say-die kind of a player. Very th- that Michigan State defense was full of really scrappy guys. Raquan Williams was another one. Uh, Bocce, th- they just they went after folks. Their their defense gave folks a game, and um, Bocce for again no draft capital is a player that Sean Payton's going to love mentality wise, but he's very productive, mm-hmm. right? He makes a lot of plays, so. Again, when you get a player like that that's going to come in, he's smart. He's going to call your defensive signals. He's tough as nails. And, you know, he makes plays, right? He's productive. He When the play comes to him, he makes it. He's a good tackler. And he can go make the play, right? He can pry people out of the way. Um, uses leverage very well. It's just a player I really, really like, if you can't He's tell. one of those guys that you do not dare put on the practice squad because you can't afford to lose him. You just, you can't. Yeah, somebody else I think would grab him. Uh, again, if they were familiar with his tape and if he stays healthy, he's just too productive to be on a practice squad, I think, because he is a guy that um, I imagine he's a good practice player. I don't know if he is. Um, we didn't really get a chance to see him. Uh, but in the game, right, he is absolutely productive. He looks like a guy that studies and works, understands, has instincts. I really do think he reminds me a lot of Chris Borland, and that mock draftable graft is eerily similar. Yeah. It's really, really close to the same shape. So, And Bocce's is indeed a little bit better on the speed side, so I was happy that the data backed up what my eyes saw on tape. Now, I will say, you kind of cheated a little bit because your third uh, undrafted gem is actually a combination of two players for the same team. So I did, but they're the same player, so it doesn't count. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, my third is, is really, and this is a, this is a whole cycle. This is a UDFA cycle in, in a nutshell, right? So what San Francisco did when it picked up, and this was the sort of final move in, in the cycle and we'll, we'll, we'll work backwards, but they picked up Jermichael Hasty and Salvin Ahmed. Now, Jermichael Hasty and Salvin Ahmed are really similar players. I had them in the same bubble or tier. They're the same kind of player. They're smaller faster don't break a ton of tackles um can run between the tackles but that's not really their game don't run with power um are receiving threats on the edge i wouldn't call them receiving threats down the field either one of them uh but can certainly catch the you know the tunnel screen or the or the five yard sort of out flare and and then turn up the field and so they really are the same player to me like i had them ranked very very similar they're the same size both very very fast and but their skill sets are a little bit narrow. And to San Francisco, that doesn't matter because San Francisco wants that narrow skill set. They value it. They have a bunch of guys on their roster just like that. We saw it in Raheem Mostert uh, and Matt Breida. Mm-hmm. Well, strangely enough, as the draft starts to go on, and we'd said running back was a little more loaded than, than people were letting on, wide receiver got all the attention, but running back was kind of sneaky loaded. There's a lot of talent down the board that could contribute. And San Francisco takes a sort of calculated gamble on day three and says, man, there's a lot of these guys left. There's probably two other guys that they had in the same bucket. Small, fast guys, one cut can really break things open if you, if you give them a gap. And boy, doesn't that sound like the San Francisco running game. And they say, there's four or five of these guys left. Why don't we flip one of the players that we have on our roster for a draft pick and then pick up one or two of these guys in UDFA and we'll have basically a free replacement. We'll basically buy a free draft pick with UDFAs. And it worked. <laughs> and, that's, and that's exactly what they do. They trade Matt Breida to the Dolphins for a fifth-round pick. 
they they select Colton McKivitz, the tackle from West Virginia. So they basically get a free tackle uh, in what I would call kind of the late second, early third tier of tackles in the draft. You want to know what the the real head twister is in all this? Mm. Matt Breida was a free agent. He was a UDFA. <laughs> so this is reduce, reuse, recycle. This is the whole. This is the whole circle, right? They bring on Matt Breida as a UDFA in the same role, small, fast guy that has a narrow skill set that fits their offense. He excels. They actually end up giving him a contract, bumping up his value to the point where the Dolphins say, "Hey, that's a player we could use." They give him a fifth-round pick and they replace him for free. With two more UDFAs. So they lose nothing. They get a free tackle. And they just do the whole thing all and over. And Breida was not exactly a picture of health. So, I mean, getting a fifth-round pick for a running back that uh, honestly got hurt every year, or at least banged up every year, like, that's ridiculous value. And, and Hasty, Hasty in particular, like, I thought he was going to be drafted. Because he's got yeah, he's got, he's some got juice, for sure. really good feet. Really, really good feet. I think he's going to be, I don't want to say a star in that system, but I think he's going to make the roster because he's he's really quick. I think he, I, he yeah, fits with Kyle too, I like him. I like him better than Ahmed. I like Ahmed. Ahmed played right up the road for me, and I understand his skill set. The thing that stood out to me when I watched Michael Hasty on tape is he was stuck in the wrong offense. Yeah, they didn't use him right. He really didn't fit Baylor's offense very well, and they tried to do things with him that didn't maximize his skill set and when he got a chance or, or when he broke something open and he got into the areas where his skills are really exceptional he has he has one good really strong cut he has a lot of burst and he's not a bad receiver he's not great not a great pass blocker not great between the tackles um and a lot of Baylor's uh, sort of misdirection run scheme kind of had him going that way and he didn't he didn't earn a lot of yards that way and it just he left a lot of yards on the field because of that fit. But if anybody is the polar opposite of that in terms of coaches maximizing their talent and their scheme, it's Shanahan, yeah. right? So I really think Hasty has more in the tank than he showed at Baylor and might be one of those guys that's a much better pro than a, than a collegiate player. If that turns out to be the case, the, the league should shake because Hasty's got juice and Shanahan knows how to use it. So Absolutely. Um, my fourth guy is one that we both saw down at the Senior Bowl. In particular, we saw him struggle down at the Senior Bowl. But in terms of just tools on tools on tools, Alex Taylor, the newly signed tackle for the Cleveland Browns, is a massive human being. Just massive. He's like 6'8", 36 and a half inch arms, I believe it is. I mean, he is gigantic, but he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, almost no bend. Not that he can't bend, he just he, somebody that big just kind of struggles to get the butt down. The the punch timing is is off. He doesn't know how to use his length yet. But he has so many tools. And in a situation like Cleveland, where he is not going to start because they have Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin, and they're going to be there for a long time, and then their swing tackle is Chris Hubbard, and I think they also have Kendall Lamb. So at best he's fighting for a fourth or fifth spot on the roster. He'll probably end up on the practice squad. But he is so toolsy that you just try to develop him for two or three years, get him better with his hands, get him to bend a little bit more, get him to drop the butt. And you're hoping that in a few years you can flip him because, again, there's a lot, there's only so many human beings on the planet that are his size, that, that have his gifts. And you just got to develop him and see what you can get down the road. I really like that signing by them. Yeah, this is pure projection right this is a guy with an 88 inch wingspan and he looks every bit of it yep he he is just a very large dude he's not super filled out but he's not light either um you know he's 308 and you think oh yeah 300 pound guy well he's 68 with 88 inch wingspan he he almost looks like a basketball player that grew too fast <laughs> um and doesn't quite have like you said, full control of all these limbs that are now a lot longer than they used to be. Um, he's a fifth year senior, so that's not exactly true. He's been this size for a little while, but in terms of playing tackle, um, the kindest thing you can say about him is that he's new. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, it, there's, he has a lot of room to grow. There's, I don't want to say there's nowhere to go, but up, but there that, you know, he's not playing at a consistent level right now. That's going to be acceptable on an NFL field. But if somebody turns the light on with him, which is the perfect situation for a UDFA, right? I wouldn't have been thrilled if anybody spent really any draft pick on him uh, above, you know, the pure lottery picks in the sixth or seventh, but getting him as a UDFA perfect spot, bring him in, see if you can align all those gifts and get them to start to work together. Because if the light goes on for him in terms of unifying all that stuff working together, and there's no guarantee it'll happen, but again, as a UDFA, there's also no risk. If it does, whoo. Yeah, he could be like a Gosner chairless, you know. He could be a super, super swing tackle, right? He'd he'd be one of those swing tackles that wasn't a swing tackle for long because when he came up for contract, somebody would be like, I think he can start. Mm -hmm. Now, he's a ways off from that, but if he hits that, again, that's uh, that's a value for the team that signed him. Absolutely. Who's your number four? Uh, My number four goes back to the Saints. Uh, the Saints had a real good UDFA session um, and a guy again that I found fairly late in the process but was really impressed with um, I liked him almost as, as much as McTelvin A. Jim who did get drafted from Arkansas uh, but it's Malcolm Roach from Texas again interior defender for them played him at five they played him at three uh, was a defensive captain made a ton of plays and is really athletic has a big frame he's almost 300 pounds um, but very, very athletic and again, productive. He's one of those guys that you watch tape and you're thinking, why is this guy not listed more highly? Like this is a very talented dude with good size at a major program. And for one reason or another, he didn't, he didn't get drafted again. This guy lands in a near perfect understudy spot. He's going to sit behind Cam Jordan, Mm -hmm. who is one of the best defensive ends in the NFL. And he has a similar frame. I'm not going to say he has a similar game. He has some flashes that look Jordan-esque, but not, you know, he's not Cam Jordan. Let's be honest. But he's going to be able, again, to sit in a system that works for his skills, learn from a player that has maximized gifts in that system. And if Roach has a chance to develop and contribute, New Orleans is a perfect perfect landing spot for him yeah because there's not that much competition for him to kind of work his way into the rotation obviously cam is, is a starter sheldon rankin's a starter uh davenport they invested in so you know they have a really good starting defensive line but behind them it's jai tuttle it's malcolm brown carl granderson like trey Hendrickson. like he he can work his way into that second shift we were talking about hockey teams earlier um i i don't think there's that big of a an obstacle for him actually making this roster as a rookie and contributing i'd be really surprised if he didn't just based on his play again really experienced at texas fourth year senior 6'2 297 just about and he looks slimmer than that no because he doesn't move like a 300 pounder that's what's surprising is i remember you coming back and saying how big is he yeah. Right? He looks like he's 280. He yeah. looks like he's 285, maybe. I was like, he's 297. You were like, no. He's rocked And, up. you know, it's funny because one of the reasons he didn't get drafted is measurables, right? Anybody that's all about measurables, we just talked about Alex Taylor having 88-inch wingspan. Malcolm Roach is 77. Yeah, not very long. Right? Not very long for a guy his size. But, again, on tape, how much stock are you going to put in that? This guy makes plays. Um, so it's just one of those things. I'm rooting for the guy. I love his his play style, um, his tenacity, his hustle. He will pursue all the way to the edge. And as a 300-pounder, that's pretty darn valuable on most teams. Um, he's a great value pick. Down the board, you're going to get him. Turns out he didn't even get picked. So you get him for free talent. He goes to the perfect spot down in New Orleans. When did Noah Spence end up in New Orleans? Did I miss that? I'm looking at their depth chart right now. You did. He's been floating around. I I say that sadly because I had high hopes for Noah Spence when he came out in the draft. And his first year, he looked really good. You know, his first year, he racked up a bunch of sacks for a rookie. And it was like, aha, he's on the path. He's going to do it. And no. And then he bounced around. Don't know what happened with him. 
uh, he was available this year in free agency. Uh, and people were, people who remembered my draft take, uh, Bears fans came back and said, should we go get Noah Spence? And I was kind of like, um, I, I don't know. Maybe he's done nothing. I looked up his stats. He's done nothing in the last three years, like uh, almost no measurable impact period tackles, sacks. tackles. He just wasn't well, the game field. started. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't getting on the field. And that says something for a guy that was that talented coming out in the draft. Uh, we, we talk about the light going on. The light went off for him for some particular reason. Don't know why. Yeah, interesting. Um, anyway, uh, I just saw his name on there. I was like, when did that happen? But anyway, yeah. uh, my, my number five guy is another senior bowl guy. It seems like half half my freaking list is senior bowl guys. But um, he was a late add to the senior bowl. It's Javaris Davis, corner from Auburn. But he showed up and just started kicking ass and taking names. He's one of those guys where it doesn't always look pretty early in the route. He might get a little bit out of phase. He's going to get targeted because receivers look open against him. But then by the ball, by the time the ball gets there, he's going to recover. He's going to rake his hand through the receiver's arms, and he's going to knock the ball out. Like He is so good in contested catch situations. Um, extremely scrappy really tough and again it's not always going to look pretty early but he's going to get the job done late and to me if you're really good at the point of the catch like you know a corner can I I use uh, the Isaiah Oliver example a lot like Isaiah Oliver looks so pretty all the way through the route and then he doesn't turn his head and the receiver catches the ball anyway and it's like bro you could be a pro bowler if you just turn your freaking head or if you're (laughs) if you're if you're good at you know, timing your punch and, or just kind of raking the receiver's arms. It doesn't matter if you lose on the route, if you win at the catch. And Javaris Davis wins at the catch. I think he has an excellent chance to make the Chiefs roster because he's so competitive and he is just kind of a natural timing um, to compete when the ball's in the air, even when he loses on the route. I, I really like that signing by them. Yeah, I'm terribly surprised he wasn't drafted just as you were. Um, and he is a bit notchy in his movements, but they're strong, powerful, and athletic is the way I would describe him as a corner. And again, he might not be uh, picture perfect in terms of technique, turn, bail, opening hips, all that stuff. But when the ball gets there, he is going to fight. And I mean, be physical, like fight. You're going to want to fight him at the end of the game if you're a wide receiver, because every time... There's no freebies against him. He is a dog in coverage. And, you know, he's just terribly effective. It kind of reminds me of the Tyler Huntley argument, right? doesn't matter what it looks like throwing the ball. It's what does it look like when it gets there and kind of doesn't matter how he gets to the catch point. When he's there, what does he do? And he's super effective there. It's because he's physical, because he's aggressive. You said it best when you said he has a really good sense of timing. Uh, I agree with all that. I was very surprised he wasn't drafted. I really thought any time after or in or after the fifth round was a perfect spot for a guy like Javaris Davis. And there's always a need for nickel with the preponderance of, you know, three, four, five wide receiver sets in the NFL. Every team needs a couple of good nickels. And uh, again, I think he's much better than some of the guys that got drafted in that range, you know, mid fifth to the end of the, to the end of the draft. There's not too many guys that got drafted in that range. There's one Dane Jackson who I'd take above him. Uh, but I hold him in a similar regard and, and yeah, I was surprised and it's, it's Kansas city's benefit. Yeah. It, he's, he's going to be a value for them. I think he's going to make the team, but, um, let's wrap this up. Who's your last guy. My last guy is just, I want to talk about him, not because he landed in the perfect situation. He landed a good situation, uh, or because he indicates something a team's going to do or a direction they're going to take. It's just cause I love watching him. This guy was just a, gas to watch his name's adrian killens he's a running back from ucf didn't get invited to the combine probably would have been the fastest player before everybody says oh rugs was there i know who was at the combine (laughs) and i know how fast they ran and i know what my eyes show me when adrian killens gets the ball in his hands on a football field and football speed is insane with this guy this guy's got afterburners jets mock whatever you want to call it people have angle on him by three and four yards and he's not a big guy he's about 168 played running back for them 
actually runs with a fair bit of pop for a 168-pound player. He'll turn around and leg drive you and actually move you. He's a very powerful little guy. But he is so damn fast. I mean, for, you get for the two record, guys in, closing in. In team testing, he tested at 439, which is just it's, – it's a blur for a running back. Yeah. I – and I think he's faster with the ball in his hands. Yeah. I really do. I, he's like Ayuk, right? And he's faster than Ayuk, but like Ayuk on the field, you will see a safety with an angle on Brandon Ayuk, the receiver from Arizona State. And he outruns him. Right? It's the and extra gear that, that you only hit when somebody's chasing you. <laughs> I, with a pipe, right? Yeah. And Adrian Killens hits it so easily and so quickly. There'll be two guys lined up, perfect bracket tackling position, and they're three yards, you know, a yard and a half to either side of him. And he'll run right between them. And not only will they not tackle him, they won't touch him. And he does it over and over. And you're just like, wait. And you rewind it. And you're like, those guys had him dead to rights. And he just goes, zip. Yep. And he is gone. So guy has straight up juice more than almost any player in the draft. Philly has a history of liking and maximizing small, fast players. Of course, Darren Sproles, they coveted Tariq Cohen. A lot of people don't know this, how he got pissed when the Bears took Tariq Cohen ahead of them. And then they picked Danelle Pumphrey, who they thought was their sort of backup option. Um, almost, yeah, not so much. <laughs> um, almost immediately when Cohen went off the board, Roseman was pissed. He wanted Tariq Cohen. So, Philadelphia understands this role, this player, so he's got a chance in his landing spot. And he does. He runs harder than a guy his size should. Plus, he's got special teams experience. He returns punts and touchdowns. Again, for a late rounder or UDFA, that is your calling card. That's how you're going to get time. That's how you're going to get on the field. Um, it's just an excellent chance for them to take on a quote-unquote free pick. And just one of the funnest players in my draft study period this year to watch because he's you just don't see that kind of speed on a football field very often. He is legitimately top 5%, probably in the NFL right now, of fast. He is just so fast. I mean, to make the roster, he's really only going to compete with Boston Scott and Elijah Holyfield, so he's got a chance. <laughs> and Holyfield's a completely different player, yeah. right? I like Holyfield for what he is as a sort of second or third, you know, what I would call a base running back. Uh the other thing about Killens is he can catch. Now, his his catch window, his catch radius is not very big. He's about 5'8". Um, but he caught some really awkwardly thrown balls behind him from Mackenzie Milton, the quarterback at UCF, and uh, made very good adjustments to poor throws. And his boy, as soon as he secures that thing, you better be near him because if you're not, he's gone. He's leaving. So he's got some juice in the receiving game. You can use him on limited receiving routes. You can use him on multiple phases of special teams. That's a guy that's just a jackknife that's going to, you know, take up sort of two or three value roster spots uh, if you put him on there and the kind of guy that you build the bottom of the roster with. So I love the fit. I love the player. Um, he'll be a ton of fun to watch. Absolutely. I can't wait for preseason because he's going to be like the, the ultimate uh, preseason fantasy sleeper hype guy when he rips off an 80-yard touchdown two out of yeah. the four preseason games. Everybody's like, oh, my God, it's the Miles Sanders handcuff. And it's like, well, maybe not, but he's a Maybe good not, but, you know, wait till he returns a punt in week six to, to beat the Giants or whoever, and then, you know, it'll start all over again. It'll I'm with start you. all he's, over again, yeah. He's going to be a darling. And, uh, you know, Philadelphia's going to love him because of his style. He's hard-nosed. A lot of these little guys don't like contact. They, they certainly don't turn and push. And you see that from Killens. He gets a couple extra yards, tries to run falling forward, and, and does, those are just great qualities. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, that's a good discussion. We got through 10, 10 UDFAs, which is more than I think people expected us to, to, to fawn over in an episode oh, dedicated to guys. they don't know me very well. I know. You could have done 10 more, and, and to yeah, be honest. Easy, but, no, these are great fits and, and great stories in the NFL about what teams are doing and, and chances they took or didn't take. Um you know, players end up not in the draft or not in the first seven rounds of the draft for all kinds of reasons. They transferred, they got hurt, they landed with a coach that didn't like them, they got in trouble. There's just so many reasons, so many human stories about, you know, they moved home to take care of their sick mom and gave up their last two years of eligibility and, and haven't played in two years. There's so many reasons. And, you know, it's 
it's fascinating to see their journey and they've all got the same chance, right? When the pads come on, the lights turn on, preseason starts, they've all got the same chance to go out there and earn a roster spot and, and play for the team that drafted them. So it's, it's a meritocracy in the NFL. It's not really about draft pick. You know, if, uh, if Adrian Killens outplays Holyfield, Holyfield's gone, right? He'll take his job. And, you know, rightfully so. It's just a fascinating sort of dance puzzle, uh, complete shit show to watch, right? Because <laughs> of the Wild West nature of how they get places. They don't make a ton of money. Even if they end up on the practice squad, they are really doing it to, to sort of chase the dream. And that's just, that's just fascinating theater. God, I can't wait for football to come back, but uh, <laughs> we'll leave you guys with that. It's a fascinating episode. Remember, our next one, we are going back to the actual draft class reviews. We're going to hit the AFC North next. We just talked about the NFC North, if you missed that one. Uh, very long, but very entertaining episode, in my opinion. So AFC's up next, and then we'll probably move on to the East divisions for NFC and AFC. But uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll hit you guys back up soon. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few days, and uh, until then, later.